welcome to They Just Get It. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm, and I'm excited, as I often am, to be here with my guest today, Mr. Nahid Jelani. Hey, Nahid, how are you? Pretty good. How about yourself, Tyler? I'm really good. It's a beautiful fall morning, I think, uh, and this will date us, but I think I saw their snow forecast coming for the weekend. Yeah, temperatures aren't going to be like they were last weekend. I'm glad I got out there, but uh, it is what it is. I think we get snow in October, We, no we doubt, do, yeah. So. It looks like it kind of, it's not like a day and it goes away. I looked at the long term, it did not look pretty, but anyways. Well, I know where my snow jacket is, so Okay, good. you're good. Yeah. All right, perfect. Boots, yeah. Well, we've done our mandatory talk about the weather, so... Yeah. <laughs> there you go. We checked the Canadian, we're a Canadian box. Yeah. So, Nahid, you run a company called Conscious Wealth. It, I understand it's been a couple of years in the making. You're based here in Calgary right now. Tell us a little bit about Conscious Wealth. We'll start from that. Absolutely. So thanks for the question. I'm always thinking about where I got to where I am and why I created Conscious Wealth. Uh, in 2010, I left the uh, world of being a stockbroker, okay. often known as the recovering stockbroker. Okay. And uh, So, okay, let's just paint a picture. Sure, so sure. stock, po- it's like, it's boiler room, you're like making calls, you're on the phone, guys are throwing footballs. We've all seen the movies. <laughs> was, that, was that the world you came from? <laughs> well, to some extent, you know, we had some days like that, but I feel yeah. like that's more of an American depiction. For sure. And uh, it is Hollywood, I'm aware, but I think course. we've all seen those movies. <laughs> yeah, there was some element of uh, call, 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 pitch a stock, you know, get people's attention, knock on doors. So, you, you know... See, yeah, so you're in it. It was high pace, it was high... Stakes were high. Okay. A lot of pressure. Um, I actually left that role as I was completing my certified financial planner designation. I decided to go overseas and work in microfinance and microinsurance in uh, Tanzania and in Mozambique. So when I came two, back... Said, so yeah. that was 2010, 2011. That was 2010, correct. 11, when did yeah. microfinance, when did that really start to gain traction in those environments? Because I remember hearing about it. I just can't put a timeline to that in my mind. You know, that's a great question. I, I've read some of the... Um, books by Muhammad Yunus, and uh, I don't want to put a year to it, but okay. certainly way before I got okay. in the game. Yeah, because I started yeah. hearing about it around late 2000s, was always curious about it, but didn't, you know, don't really have a recollection, but yeah. interesting thing to go and expose yourself to. Absolutely. I mean, some people will know Muhammad Yunus, uh, Nobel Prize uh, candidate or winner, and, you know, he uh, wrote a book called Banker to the Poor, and uh, that was very inspiring for me. Okay. I wanted to figure out how to use finance for good and look at, you know, my privilege and understand you know, where can I um, contribute my skill set? You know, not having a background in nursing or healthcare or uh, education. Where which, can o- I contribute? which is often the, the fields that align with being able to contribute that way. Absolutely. Oh, and really I met some great people in those fields and social work uh, while I was overseas uh, in those placements. So, and were you, how, were you in some, like, how advanced or not were those environments that you're in? Like, are you out in, out in remote villages working with this? I or? wasn't. Okay. I wasn't. Some of these functions are uh, city center okay. based. And uh, I was in Dar es Salaam in okay. Tanzania. And, uh, you know, I was in a pretty luxurious setting. Okay. You know, uh, not out in the field much, doing a lot of research on what kinds of life events can lead to extreme poverty. You know, I looked at malaria protection we looked at, you know, Gates Foundation distributing nets and, and how could we look at that to, to prevent people from, you know, entering a much worse situation. Mm-hmm. Um, a death in the family, how would that affect uh, their ability to work and sustain themselves? You know, when you bring in all the family and feed them for a week and some of the traditional uh, rights uh, yep. were, were quite costly from what I understood in my research. So it was all very interesting. And then I actually got transferred to Mozambique. And that's where I was working more in microfinance as opposed to microinsurance. Okay. And okay, that's yeah. where I was so a little more in the field. The first time, then microfinance, second round. Okay. In Mozambique, I was in a little town called Pemba in the north. And uh, yeah, that was a, a tough go to find accommodation, 
to get, oh, okay. you know, food that, you know, um, we're used to or even close to it. And uh, that's where I was in the field. You know, I'd go with staff on motorbikes to talk to borrowers to figure out why they were late, understand their circumstances, renegotiate terms of the deal. And so were these loans that you had approved or decided on, or you inherited essentially this book? This, so this I was group? involved in this field for a very short time. What an, interesting, what an interesting experience. Yeah, so unfortunately I wasn't there approving the loans. Uh, Mozambique is uh, uh, Portuguese, so uh, didn't have the language background. So you had translators with you? and uh, Yeah, the staff would usually help me understand what was going on, but okay. I wasn't there to uh, slow their process. I was there to learn and watch and grow. I wasn't okay. uh, there to change lives. I was there to you know, to see where I could fit into this picture of banking, providing banking services to people who can't get loans. I'm curious, and I've, and I've read different things about this, like culturally, depending on what environments you're in, that level of default being lower because there is a sense, a more sense of honor and commitment to these mm-hmm. loans. Did mm-hmm. you experience that? Like, because every culture, we look at our commitments differently. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's very geographic dependent. In some parts of the world, you know, you've got high population concentrations, uh, population density, mm-hmm. and uh, it would be easy to bring the community together to share and understand the importance of paying back these loans. I think in sub-Saharan Africa, the populations were more dispersed. And so creating that sense of community and obligation to one another seemed a little different. Oh, I understand. Okay. Right. So I I can't really compare repayment rates, although I did look at that back at that time based on geography. But uh, I think that, you know, you have to be flexible with your borrowers and repayment rates can be very high because nobody else has given them this chance before. Right. And because you have very inefficient economies, you know, people are entrepreneurial because it means survival. Yes, so, they don't call it entrepreneurial. They call it surviving. Exactly. Yeah, and absolutely. so, you know, your margins can be very high in those countries. You know, I stumbled upon a few potential business opportunities myself and I was shocked with how little competition there could be because, again, capital is, uh, is scarce. Just, just a limited so, and money is such a logical thing, but there's so much around it around beliefs, which I think we'll get into today. Sure, sure. <laughs> the logic side of money as well. It's just this plus, 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 minus, and there you have it. Yeah, that's not how it works though. Because humans, humans are involved. Yeah, that's very different much to the world. So, oh, you very know, interesting experience. Yeah, that's very. I'm sure that was that was formulating for you at that time in your life. Absolutely. Uh, so you know, when I came back, I tried working for a few uh, big institutions, and you know. Um, some of those opportunities were great. I learned a lot. I mean, I first started at uh, a credit union, First Calgary Financial. Okay. When I got back, I thought this would so be. So you came back, right? You came back to Calgary? Yeah. And, are, you originally uh, from, are you originally from Calgary? You've been born Calgary? and raised in Calgary. Oh, yeah. right on. One of, the, on. one of the rare few. We've only had a couple, I think, on the show. <laughs> well, grew up uh, on a farm just east of the city. And, oh, right on. Uh, learned the value of hard work, the immigrant story. A farm teaches that story, that story very well. Absolutely. <laughs> I've dealt with a, a lot of winters. I mean, in the city, people don't know how. <laughs> Difficult winters can be, and uh, it's quite interesting when your dad pulls out the tractor to push your school bus, you know? I grew up in a very similar environment, and my my dad had all the municipal snow contracts, so my dad was the snowplow guy. Wow. (laughs) So, yeah, I grew up in in southern Quebec, which is also real real winter in a rural environment. Anyways, yes. Absolutely. I didn't realize we shared that background. That's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So, so with, uh, you know, a variety of these work experiences, you know, I realized, okay, who is serving the public? And I mean truly serving the public. And unfortunately, the majority of the industry doesn't fall under a fiduciary obligation standard. It's a suitability standard. So are these products generally um, the right fit for that client? As opposed to, is this the very best um, you know, solution to their needs? Suitability so, versus fiduciary. You got it. Interesting. Yeah. So I would really encourage people to uh, look into that. And uh, you know, if they message me or they visit consciouswealth.ca, I've got a link to okay. a seven-minute interview I did on the topic on SiriusXM. XM. 
and uh, did a lot of research, talked to the securities regulators, got to understand the hierarchies of, of regulation, which regulation is working, and which uh, forms of regulation aren't. And unfortunately, it does seem like the public uh, does have some cards stacked against them. Okay. So yeah, I was going to ask a question when you say, is it working or is it not based on whose perspective? (laughs) Right. I mean, I think most people know it's working fairly well for the industry. The industry is moving forward and trying to, you know, accommodate some of the needs. But I would argue most uh, people listening right now are more curious about how it's going to affect them. You got (laughs) it. What's in it for me or what, or what's working it, what's stacked against me. Sure. Sure. And, and over the years I've, I've appreciated the uh, personalized rate of return calculations that are required so people can know how they're doing. Uh, I liked uh, seeing, you know, more consistency on fund fact sheets when you own a mutual fund and also being provided with those at the time of purchase rather than having it uh, received in the mail a few weeks later. Okay, interesting. So, you know, uh, we are making steps in the industry, uh, but Conscious Wealth was really a culmination of uh, all those experiences and recognizing that we need uh, what we call fee-for-service okay, uh, as opposed to fee-based <laughs> Or commission-based, where things are essentially less transparent, more hidden. You don't really know as a cons- as a consumer. I mean, a lot of people would argue fee-based is is um, you know far superior to commission-based. There's okay. a lot of uh, discussion still. Yeah, uh, you, yeah, you can hear it on the media just about any time. There's different versions of it. And it kind of it seems like it comes up and then it goes down, and then it comes back up again. You got it. Yeah, and and you know fee-based. You know at least you kind of know what you pay. There's sometimes opportunities to deduct it for tax purposes. You know fee right. for service typically is. Uh, flat fee or project-based. could be hourly-based. Okay. Uh, there's typically no product involved. It's education, it's coaching, it's planning. And that's really what Conscious Wealth focuses Arguably, on. Arguably, the goal would be to get a more objective opinion there because you're not necessarily bought in. Like, if you're getting commissioned on something... You got it. You know, the, it's the salesperson at the retail that pushes a certain, you know, set of pants on you because that's what they're getting their bonus on. To, you know, that... You got it, it. shifts the, are you in it for me or are you in it for you? <laughs> I mean, we've all heard of different uh, financial institutions having, you know, a different lineup that they're pushing or, or um, encouraging people to buy. And I've often been able to tell clients before they go in what they will be pitched. And that's something that I take a lot of pride in. It speaks to my industry experience and my awareness of what is in vogue. And um, yeah, what's trendy and cool for that's going to be sold by the advisors. Exactly. And, and it's quite interesting because, you know, uh, some of these products aren't bad, but they're right. not as transparent as... They would need to be for clients to truly be able to break them apart on their own. So a big part of what I do is advisor audits, where if somebody has a broker, an investment counselor, a financial planner, I'll look through the results. I'll do an independent assessment without any interest in moving the money anywhere because Which I just in, provide really, a report. That's an interesting service because mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, I know, even sophisticated business people, you know what you know. And, you know, sometimes when you're good at one thing, you think by default you should just be good at this other thing over here. But not having someone to go to like yourself, that's very challenging because sure. you, you can, it can be, feel very overwhelming and people are scared to ask and don't sure. want to look stupid and all those things that make us human. <laughs> you know, one piece of advice I'd give uh, while we're discussing this is uh, don't invest with who you like and trust. I mean, you want to like and trust them, but you have to consider them your personal CFO and you should be interviewing them as though they're an employee. And without asking those right questions, you know, it can lead to a challenging relationship down the road and it might not occur when markets are good. But if you have another 08, which I was a broker through, you experience uh, how challenging those relationships can be. And, you know, a lot of people come to me and they say, yeah, our kids play softball together or we met at this event and 
you know, I ask what questions did you ask? And, and inevitably, you know, it's very returns focused. Right. Uh, and of course, you know, anybody can express some solid past returns, but what about process and discipline? Who's backing you up? You know, how do you get paid? You know, I have a list of five questions to of ask course, an advisor you, you, on my you, website. You jump me to the next. I'm like, so yeah, give us a few yeah. of the questions because people are probably like with a pen and pen for right now. Going, yeah. What are the questions? What could I, what's the top, what's the top one or two questions sure, that you sure. would ask? Well, I often go against the grain. I, I, I think you can hear the same stuff over and over reading blogs and, and so on. And so, you know, I'm going to tell you a common one, which is, you know, what are your credentials? Well, I'd actually argue that credentials are important, but they don't matter as much as a lot of uh, people in my on my side of the table say. Okay. You know, I've got my CFP, I've got my CFA, which is the gold standard in finance. It's, uh, you know, often used in more corporate or institutional finance settings as opposed to more of the retail and private wealth. And CFA stands for? Chartered Financial Analyst. And CFP is Certified Financial Planner. Um, In the past, I had done my CIM, which is Chartered Investment Manager. And my, you know, I become a fellow of the Canadian Securities Institute, which is FCSI. All these acronyms confuse people. Yes, they do. So I, I mostly just focus on CFA and CFP. I've dropped the rest. And, you know, credentials are important, but some of these exams can be passed by, uh, you know, a variety of people and, and they can have multiple shots at them. Um, but what you have to find out is how are you compensated? Because you might abide by certain codes of ethics under these uh, professional bodies that you're registered with. But what company you're working for, and how are you compensated for the product? Because often those two are in conflict. Interesting. So right right away, it's making for again. Am I going to get the best advice for me, or is your own personal? You know, when it's your compensation, it's hard. Because absolutely, yeah, that's absolutely. really interesting. So you saw this quote unquote problem or challenge, or again, mm-hmm. like any good entrepreneur, you also saw it as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So when did uh, so you? Did you move around through a few different institutions, kind of finding your way and looking for that place where you could land? Well, it was interesting. I uh, did work for a variety of institutions since getting back from sub-Saharan Africa and uh, got to work in the high net worth space. Oh, interesting. Um, you know, here, with, here in Calgary. Here in Calgary. I covered um, 30 branches for one of the, the, the big financial institutions and uh, helped scope out the millionaires in the branches. So define, what's, yeah. what, what would be considered high net worth? Like what's, what's the threshold for that? It's well, a term you hear getting you hear, term you hear thrown around a lot. Yeah, of course, in in the U.S. or or Western Europe, the numbers are a lot bigger. Right. But here, we often would look at um, somebody who qualifies for an investment counseling service. Okay. Which is a typically a million of investable assets. Okay. Now, the scary part there is to get a fiduciary level of care. You often need an investment counselor or somebody who's registered as a full portfolio manager, and a lot of them will look for a minimum of a million. Right. So. Getting that high level of uh, because legal that's typically where you're also going to see would that would, was that where you would get a flat fee like one percent of asset value annually those kind of things. So that's what we call fee based, and yeah. and you can now get fee based at even lower tier assets, but okay. you might be working with somebody who doesn't follow a fiduciary standard, and they don't necessarily even know that they're not abiding by a fiduciary standard. They'll always oh, tell you I, if they don't even know how do how do I as the exactly. consumer or the individual looking to make the best choice how do I even know that? exactly? And that's where I did a lot of research. You know, uh, when I was building conscious wealth. And I try to really help people realize why the results aren't what they think they should be and why there's, you know, a challenge when it comes to seeking recourse or accountability. And a problem with the recourse is a lot of people don't file a complaint. Interesting. It takes too much time. It's embarrassing. They consider it a sunk cost. Of course. And you, yeah, you're almost holding up a light to your, what is, was your bad decision, quote unquote, but mm-hmm. you didn't know. 
Right. But let alone hopefully to save someone else from that right. similar decision. And, and a lot of what I've seen so in my in my kind of like work. the unreported. Un, un, I don't like to use work. The un, un, unreported transgression. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you could call these near misses where a lot of these people uh, could have, you know, ended up in a much worse situation in terms of mental health. I, I mean, many of them do. Right. That's I think interesting. We know that even even things like marital breakdown can be triggered by bad financial decisions or just finances in general. Right. I've and read so, somewhere years ago that the root of so many like relationship mm, problems can mm-hmm. be money's right up there on yeah, the list. I mean, yeah. And you know, another piece of advice I'd give is is um, if you are not making the financial decisions in, in the relationship, uh, you know, you should be aware of what's going on because often I find one partner makes all the decisions and the risk their risk tolerance and outlook on the markets is very different. And so I've seen That's really good advice. I've seen portfolios decimated and maybe the the the, the passive partner kind of knew what was happening. But not until it's too late do they right. realize that their retirement is now going to have to be rebuilt. I have a few older friends that, like right. one particular, the husband sure. made some choices with best intentions. Sure. Yeah, and then all of a sudden the wife was made the comment of like, "I'm going to be more involved in the future." Yeah. But it was so it was so she just almost like pushed away from it so mm-hmm. much, and he mm-hmm. took it on, and you know worked good for years until it sure. did, until it didn't work. Sure, you know. That's an interesting. Yeah. That's a really good advice. From my early days, I've always insisted that both partners be present at the meeting. If not, um, I might have a phone call with the absentee. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'll often have to kick uh, a certain person out of the room because if they're answering all the questions, I need both part- par- uh, parties to participate. So co- coach and counselor a little bit sometimes. <laughs> you know, we look at this, this moniker financial therapist at times and, you know, trying to figure out what is it we truly do because that's one of the biggest challenges in, in, in the fee-for-service world. People are not used to paying separate from their investments. Right. When it's hidden, you don't notice it. You know, you might have been paying 2% when you had 100 grand. Now you have 500 grand. Should you still be paying 2%? 90% of people, I would argue, don't even know what they're paying. Right. And I think that's I where agree, we I would agree with my mm-hmm. experience for sure. Yeah. And that's where I think we need a flat dollar term and it needs to be clear on the statement. So a lot of my clients will pay me a $250 quarterly fee after we finish their core project. Okay. Which yeah. is analyzing their investments typically and doing a report, looking at their asset mix, their geographic mix, their sector mix. We often look at the size of companies they own. Mm-hmm. If they own a lot of very small companies, which you know is often in oil and gas, I was going to say that that's that's probably very prevalent. Portfolio. Prevalent in this environment. Yeah, it's really changed. Too many People, eggs in one basket, kind of, which we've all found out in the last four, four to six years. You got it. Yeah. So, so that's a, a little bit of what I've been doing with Conscious Wealth, uh, as mentioned, advisor audit. I do advisor selection where people want help finding an advisor. What I don't do is manage their money. I don't. Okay, give specific, you, you beat me to my next question. You got again. it. Okay. So you're typically you're literally the guy on the outside. You mm-hmm. know, I've got my money with Scotia. I've got my money with CBC. Mm-hmm. Wherever, pick something. You're my second opinion. You're my guide. Sure. Oh, that's really interesting. That's a powerful sure. position to be in. You know, and a lot of institutions will say, come get a second opinion. Well, 99% of the time, their opinion is is, is better. And that's a problem, right? There's a, a product sale at the end of that discussion. Absolutely. So do you have a complimentary positive relationship with some of the banks? Or Absolutely. Okay, I'm curious because you might Absolutely. be the guy who comes in and really forces them to work a bit harder. <laughs> Absolutely. I would, I would yeah. sense. I've sat down with a number of registered portfolio managers. Um, now, there's two types of portfolio managers. One is registered with the... Securities commissions, okay, which um, some would deem is is the best form because it's the highest body, one of the highest bodies. The, You're going to get more of the fiduciary approach to things there, right? I'm making right. some assumptions, so yeah. correct me if I'm going out. Yeah, of the yeah, no, I think that's fair, and 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 you can also be a portfolio manager registered through through IROC, which is the Investment Industry Regulatory Oversight Committee, okay, and they are, I believe, responsible 
uh, and report to the securities commissions. And so, so many layers, like for so the average person, how could you not be confused? Absolutely. And so, so some will say that a portfolio manager with the IROC bodies would still be a fiduciary standard. Uh, I just choose on my list when I've pre-screened folks, most of them are uh, on the securities commission list. Okay. And that's just because it's a little easier for me to, to talk and, and so, so if I'm chatting there. with you and I'm saying I'm looking for an advisor mm-hmm. and once you interview me and understand like my goals mm-hmm. and where I'm at, do you have that referral list where you can steer people in the right direction? I usually work them through it. I usually don't just uh, provide it. I try to figure okay. out, okay, um, you know, I try to look at personality fit. And that actually really aligns well with one of my roles, uh, you know, connecting millionaires to portfolio managers uh, with one of the big institutions. I, okay. You know, I had to really find that personality fit. You know, in some cases I'd have... Um, very elderly couple. One individual is, um, you know, um, unwell and, and trying to make sure that, you know, spouse is taken care of, you know, somebody's there to sort the estate mm-hmm. and, you know, in those kinds of instances, I want somebody who can really work well with, with, you know, the little old lady who, of course, who just doesn't, with who they are as people. Exactly. And they could be in a, in a probably, they could be in a very high net worth situation. Absolutely. Based on Absolutely. good savings and yeah, all well, in many yeah. cases it was the sale of a business. Yes. Uh, sale event, of property a major life event. Uh, and many of these people were also good with savings. So unfortunately they weren't using their wealth and that's where, you know, getting to the next generation is really important. And so, you know, a lot of people in the brokerage industry, I think are uh, working with parents who have a lot of money mm-hmm. and they're trying to get to the kids. Whereas I'm going straight to the kids. So typically 30, I've heard different, I've heard different views on this of where sure. you, where you kind of go in, sure. like running into different, you know, friends, associates, people I've chatted with mm-hmm. on the show, they go, no, no, only focus here. Or no, we need to get here because there's going to be this huge transfer of wealth that's coming. I never deny access. That's one of the most fundamental parts okay. of what I'm doing. I'm a social enterprise. I'm a um, social good kind of business. Okay. And I never refuse service. And so you, you know, most of my, yeah, how sure. do you run your business on? Talk to me about that. So are you, is that like you're focusing on con- contributing back to the community? You say a social business. Is there a certain yeah. way you run your business besides just your own philosophy? Like financially, do you run it a certain way to be able to support that mandate? So I have a few clients who are going to be, you know, older with larger assets and, uh, you know, they require more of my services. Okay. And so that allows me to continue to working with, you know, people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Most of my clients, I would say, are in their, their late 30s. Okay. And, um, you know, a lot of people are sitting on a lot of cash and they just don't trust banks and brokers. So, Interesting. you know, I've seen people with hundreds of thousands of cash. Just sitting there. Just sitting, not even in high interest. And, not high uh, interest, i.e. 1.6, 1.7%. Yeah, I mean... Which is high interest, 1.9 if, you're, if you can find a good one. Yeah, you can get the promo rates, but if you just let the money sit, you know, inevitably you'll be getting a lot less. So... You know, in terms well, of evidently, you're actually losing ground. If you take inflation and you take kind of the whole, what's the future value of money? <laughs> absolutely, and it all depends on your lifestyle. I like to tell people, you know, ignore the inflation rates most financial planners use in your plan because your situation is different, and you can't customize everything. Yeah, but I'm very specific in looking at you know someone's life stage and whether they have kids, and you know, I look at um, it is such an individual conversation, right? But inflation is this national statistic that the you know the government. Uh, or the Bank of Canada uses to make these interest rate decisions, but it's not necessarily the rate that's applicable to your life. Interesting. And so I, you know, got rid of my I've car. Got li- I've got listeners here feeling more overwhelmed now. I'm like, oh, well, God, what am I oh, supposed gosh. to like latch on to? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when they use 3% inflation, well, that's probably a good way to make you put more money aside. But if you're already a good saver, that might mean that you make a lot of lifestyle sacrifices that you don't need to make. Ah, that's so, interesting. It's not just about saving. You still have to live your life. You still have to live your life. And so uh, for me, you know, I got rid of my car. I moved to a shoebox-sized apartment downtown, mm-hmm. 
and I started preparing all my own meals, and I'm a, a an aspiring vegan. So you know, a lot of my like diet you said, is, that aspiring vegan. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, in cultural settings or family settings, I I, I try not to make too much of a fuss, but yep, you know, I appreciate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, with uh, all these things in mind, uh, you know, my cost of living has has dropped quite significantly, which has given me you know the freedom to decide if I want to go back to corporate or not, and. A big vision for conscious wealth is to help people live the lives they want by, by, you know, helping them get financially independent sooner. I think what you said was so powerful. It is, it is about freedom, having mm-hmm. the, having the option to choose versus right. the saddling yourself with yeah. all this debt and like, oh no, I don't, I don't like what I'm doing, but I have no choice. Yeah. To me, that's, yeah, that'll that'll just put the fire out. <laughs> you got it. You know, a lot of people you might hear about this called fu money, but uh, I talk about yeah, it yeah. as you know gaining financial independence sooner because I want. Is there a everybody... great scene in a Mark Wahlberg movie? I think it's John Goodman does a whole fu sorry <laughs> fu money speech around two million dollars being the. Anyways, I remember it. It's just this like he's in the sauna prophesizing as the old sure, guy about sure. the fu money. <laughs> sure, and and I think it's interesting when we talk about what's that figure, and it'll be different for everyone. And when right. people are told you know one million is not enough anymore, I think that's complete garbage. Okay. You have to look at your lifestyle right. and about, customize yeah. that figure. And the problem is, you know, financial planning can be so complicated. You have these inputs, you have these charts and extrapolations, which may completely not resemble what actually happens. And that's what's the point of a plan if it's forecasting too far and the modeling is just out of out of yeah, tune. You're either looking backwards or you're crystal balling forward. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Somewhere right. in the middle, there's some degree of, of correctness. <laughs> you got it. And you know, the markets don't operate in a linear fashion. To, so to try to take a 5% year assumption and think where you'll be in 20 years doesn't make a lot of sense. So we really, with our clients, we really have sat success focusing on the current five-year period. So we okay. break it down that way. It's easier to forecast over the next few years because, you know, if you're 25 and you want to have kids when you're 30, 35... You know, we can actually break down the, yeah. the life stages. Yeah, you can plan. It's like those big chunks of life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so the simplest rule that, you know, some of my actual um, clients or people who follow my Facebook page on, on Conscious Wealth, uh, I think they've followed a lot of these other blogs. And, and, you know, the simplistic approach they've taught me is just look at your expenses and times that by 25. So if you're 30 years old, you're spending, you know, let, let's like do simple an, annual math. or a month. You're just gonna pick like uh, I'm, I'm, an annual annual expense. So okay. so let's say let's say you spend twenty grand a year. And okay. Let's just call it twenty years instead of twenty five years. Yep. You know, four hundred grand is what you would need to be able to to call it quits, and that assumes no rate of return. I've never heard that. That's an interesting. St- isn't never it? Heard isn't that. it incredible? I'm gonna write simple? that out on the yeah. on the site and put that out there. I've never heard it broken down so simply. Yeah. Do this yeah. and elaborate this and to the net, you know, the power of seven and then uh, net present value and inflation and, and then you stop. You, you like got the average it. person just stops. You got <laughs> it. But what if the markets don't return anything? And what if right. inflation is low? I mean, God forbid. I mean, inflation being low is a capitalist nightmare, right? We yes. always need. We needed to keep moving forward. Yeah. Right. And 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 unfortunately. Prices going up is a sign of, of things evolving in our economy, which I think is is a, is a little bit um, uh, of a challenging ideal, considering a lot of the the, the environmental challenges and so on we face. Of course, because right? something like that in perpetuity, what's the cost over here? Right, that's a bigger conversation. Yeah. So so take your annual expenses, multiply it by twenty five, and start with that, and that's your simplest form of financial plan. But remember, don't stop there because you don't know what you don't know. There's um, problems we can identify with wills, with life insurance. There's tax issues we find. You know, for example, a lot of people don't know when to shift to an RSP from a TFSA. A lot of young people are into TFSAs. Yeah. 
you know, but at what point of income should they do, look at RRSPs? So that's, a, so that's a good question. I think those are two very, very interesting vehicles that get a lot of publicity and there's sure. a lot of awareness around them, but I also like a lot of things. Just because you hear about it doesn't mean you know what it is. So maybe like a quick breakdown of the two and just maybe your perspective on the good old RSP uh, TFSA conversation. Sure. Which and when and sure. why and how and why would I even do it? So what I actually say is if you're a student or a senior or close to those age ranges, you should be leaning towards the TFSA. Okay. Now, these are general rules. It'll depend on your income. Yeah. What's the main driver that's that's putting that decision into saying that? Mm. Well, because if you're in your 40s or 50s, you're not close to being a student or a senior. <laughs> Very true. And that's when your income hopefully is higher. And when your income is higher, the tax deduction from contributing to your RSP is greater. It's the offset, right? Right. We do have a, a progressive tax rate system. So the next layer of income above your you know current income is taxed at a higher rate, mm-hmm. and therefore you want to chop off some of that higher, you know, take off the the foam. Yeah, and at and its and its simplest, the RSP is gives is really the only tool you have as an individual with the T four to do that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, some interesting options in terms of charitable giving. Uh, a lot of okay. high net worth yeah. individuals use permanent insurance strategies, but in terms of just the, the most direct, obvious, you know, strategy, it is removing the top layers of your income using an RSP contribution okay. or via your pension plan at work. So TFSAs are very flexible. Uh, of course, you don't get a tax deduction when you put money in. Right. RSPs, you do. And RSPs, they get you on the way out. Yeah. Now, <laughs> yes. A misconception is that RSPs are crap because you have to pay tax eventually. Well, there's a fundamental concept in finance called time value of money. And would you rather pay a dollar of tax in 20 years or would you rather pay that dollar of tax today? And obviously, deferral is valuable. And we mathematically... because yeah, you're leveraging the back to the old compound interest thing we all got taught, you got hopefully it. at a young age. Well, and the problem with compound interest is a lot of us don't compound it because we don't trust the system and ah, we leave the money in cash. Back to sitting under the, under the mattress. Right? <laughs> so investment advisors teach these ideas, but have the results encourage people to continue to follow these principles. And after 08, a lot of people change. I, I mean, I'm... I'm guilty myself. Well, you I lose w- trust. You lose trust. You know, in, in 08, I switched primarily to, you know, new assets would go into real estate. And, Interesting. And that turned out not to be the best move in, in a Calgary setting. I was going to, yes, right? absolutely. However, I did get But leverage. that was off a 15-year run of just, oh, Calgary real estate. You, 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 you became a real estate mogul by accident, quote unquote. You got it. And if you manage the properties well and you add value and you understand how to build suites and refinance and put some financial engineering into it, some tax efficiency, it can work out. But, uh, you know, that just shows that even uh, somebody on the other side of the table can make financial mistakes. And I open up my books. If people want to know what kind of properties I own, if they want to know what kind of stocks I own, what my strategies are, I never hesitate to share that. I want my clients to retire well. That's fantastic because well. I have not, I've very rarely, I have an advisor I work with now, but up to that point, I had no one would do that. They wouldn't yeah. really have a real conversation or ask. It was like I'd almost ask these real life questions and they'd be like, it was always hypothetical. It was never felt real to me and yeah. it was very frustrating. Well, I think a lot investor. of advisors have a lot more money than their clients and that's probably embarrassing. They don't want their clients to know how many millions they have. Of course. Now, of course, it's a very tough industry to survive. I kind of want them to have done better because I want some guidance by somebody who's been playing the game for longer and who, sure. quote unquote, who's good at it. <laughs> sure, but is that money off the backs of high fees? Yes. Right. You're right. So, you know, or is it market savvy? And all the evidence is that you can't beat the market. Guys like Buffett and other... The monkey you know, throwing darts at the board will have the same results. Like we've all, that joke's been floating out yeah, for years. Yeah, and, and I still am one of the holdouts who leans, you know, towards active management to some extent. I mean, passive management is the big thing nowadays, using exchange-traded funds and yes. index funds, kind of firing the manager 
having the bare bones cost structure. Yeah, bleeding and, your cost down and then using basically technology to, technology. to make those moves. And, yeah. and I complement that. So I, you know, I have a partnership with Wealth Simple. I have a partnership with Nest Wealth. So if people don't want to pay my my upfront project fees, you know, if they invest with one of those services through Conscious Wealth, you know, we can tack on a, a monthly fee to their oh, offering. Okay. Yeah. So it allows them to kind of amortize. That's my strategic fee. on your part to also then be you know part of it, but be transparent about it. Back to your, exactly. Your, still meeting your personal objective. Exactly. So. Clear transparency, separate line item, and in dollars, not in percent. Because people can understand somebody dollars. pays 2% and they don't know what their portfolio value is worth, then how do you calculate that? Even if they have an estimate of what it's worth, they've never actually sat down and said, what's 2% of 400 grand? And what am I then getting for that fee? And that's the conversation I go through with people. Do you have a financial plan? How good is it? You know, What are the inputs used? Do you update it annually? And... Um, you know, when I used to review financial plans for, for staff at a prior firm I worked with, you know, a lot of the uh, charts showed these ridiculous results where you'd have people with, you know, average incomes going to be multi-multi-millionaires. So that's a lot of where I started to ask a lot of questions about the quality of financial planning we're doing in the industry. Has there ever been any moments, I can, I can only imagine, or I'm projecting a little bit here, is there any time where it gets a little bit exhausting going against the grain? Because you get charged up about it. I can feel your energy. Because like, yeah, yeah. there's got to be sometimes you're getting some closed doors of like, whoa, whoa, why don't you stop asking all these questions and just get in line? <laughs> Absolutely. There's, there's certainly risks. You know, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, on have options, you know, to, to, to find organizations that are a real fit. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I want to... Uh, improve the state of the industry and increase the level of integrity. It's a big part of what we do in, as CFA charter holders. The goal is to uh, think about the integrity of the industry and rebuilding public trust, building confidence. And so for me, you know, I want to help people understand where they could go wrong and you know, uh, not be disparaging of the industry, but helping people just understand you know, the things they need to pay attention to. Well, where are the landmines and don't step over there? Exactly. And yeah. I've seen so many cases brought to me that just broke my heart. You know, I've had cases where you know, people were living in, you know, uh, poor circumstances and, and they actually had a lot of money. And then this is, comes down to the elder abuse type circumstances right. where, mm-hmm. you know, I've ended up taking these people to their doctors, getting them uh, many memory medical exams or something like that. They call them interesting, taking like talking to the police about, you know, at what point does a, does an elder need to be in proper care facilities? And, and uh, you know, I've seen, a lot of people in investments and trusting their advisors as the experts and, and, and save them from tens of thousands of potential ruin. And this can be with marijuana stocks. It can be with very poorly performing oil and gas funds with high fees, right. uh, Bitcoin. And unfortunately, Bitcoin is a very non-traditional model. So I won't see that on your typical investment statement. So sometimes right. clients tell me after, oh, and by the way, we also have this separate account that we didn't tell you about. Right. And so, because if it's doing well, I'm going to brag about it. But if it's doing poorly, I'm slightly embarrassed. Exactly. So I don't talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I don't give specific security advice, but I teach people what is diversification? You know, what would the professionals do? You know, what is their limit? What is their cap on each sector or stock or, or geography? Right. Right. And a lot of people a while back were obsessed with China and then it turned into BRIC, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China. Mm-hmm. And then you could also play the emerging markets more generally. You know, and we always thought, well, this will give you a higher rate of growth than Western economies. Well, with what level of risk? 
And so a portfolio manager's true responsibility you is have to, to, everything has to be correlated together. It's never a one vantage point. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that so can be very challenging when you're outside yeah. of that world and you read news or you hear about the friend who's always telling you how he's done so well in this thing. And mm-hmm. I've I've had friends who are like, oh, I feel like I'm kind of missing out on the ride. And then I've met some real successful people. They're like, you're not missing out. <laughs> yeah. This is like how it really is. Uh, you know, as I was kind of coming through, and you always think there's some secret formula that someone else that everyone else seems to know, but you right. don't know. <laughs> I've realized that that's not really true. <laughs> yeah. No. And we're very fortunate. Fortunate. Today's investors are very fortunate in that we understand how costs of investing interfere with progress and, and your end results. And so we have a lot of passive options available and we have robo-advisors to help people who don't want to choose those passive options and research. Right. So unfortunately, I believe that you know the robo-advisor approach can be very lazy and, and it's a really lazy approach. And I think people really need to understand what goes into those models. Okay. And, and that's again where I complement things. I help people use robo-advisors better and I help them understand when they need to be talking to someone. For example, you know, my clients come to me and they tell me they want to buy a property in the next few years and we make sure they're ready for that. And do we use the RSP with the home buyer's plan? A robo-advisor is not going to be able to have that discussion. Exactly. <laughs> Just and, and, sum it up shortly. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and often they have people you can call, but that level of personal relationship may not be there when you call a, a call center and there's tens of thousands of other clients. Um, I really believe in face-to-face. For my clients across the country, we do Skype calls or other video video chats. So very personal, like break it down. It's a very personal approach. Very personal. And just you listening know. to you talk, you're clearly very invested in these people that you're, because yeah. you're helping them. You're, you're their guide. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, one thing I take pride in is I've really uh, focused on that one-to-one or, or small group setting. I don't do big workshops. I might do five to 10 people okay. in my workshops where we often talk about socially responsible investing and does it work? What is impact investing? Just like we have more passive investing options today with lower fees to to push back on the high fee part of the industry, yep. do we have options within the socially responsible space? You know, um, I, you know, there's there's products out there that I educate people on that are uh, vegan and fossil free in, in one package. But then we talk about well, do those funds do investor advocacy? Do they get items onto the ballot? Do they actually change corporate behavior? So we can get into or is it just a way to sell another fund? Exactly. To be, to like the marketer in me sometimes is a bit jaded. I'm like, is it, are we really doing anything here or do we just pick on something that people are going to like, that are attracted to and sell it to them? Exactly. There's a lot of greenwashing out there and there's yes, a lot there of funds is. that will be called, you know, highly principled, you know, ethical fund or whatever. But uh, we have to look at what is their process? How much are you paying for them to do this work? And, and I am personally willing to pay. If I have to pay two and a half percent on a fund that I believe is involved with changing corporate behavior, I will pay that. I will gladly give up something on because a it, aligns, of my it aligns with what's important to you. Exactly, and I think overall, people today that's so much more top of mind. Like this has to not only give me a return on investment, yeah. re- return on my ethical beliefs, or yeah. just what I what I think is yeah. important. And you know, there's a, a false belief that you give up return when you invest ethically, but there's no evidence. There's been massive studies. It's like if I'm, if I'm eating healthy, it'll taste bad. Kind of like that one too. <laughs> that's a really good comparison. All healthy food taster. I'm like, not where I that's come from. Really I'm like, that comparison. is such a silly, yeah. oh, I got to give up everything. I'm like, no, you just yeah. maybe have to think of things or maybe learn a little bit, yeah. get a coach or an advisor yeah. to help you go down that path. That's interesting. A- a- absolutely. And I think more and more companies are going to be evaluated on their behavior. 
over time. Well, it's certainly a trend you're seeing moving in that in that direction. Exactly. And I, I'm and just listening to you talk, like so many industries, like technology is empowering the consumer more than ever. Sometimes in dangerous ways. Yeah. We are self-diagnosing, and you know, hey, I think I have this ailment. Where did you find it? Oh, online. I'm like, sure. well, you may want to go see your doctor. I still think Absolutely. you might need a second opinion. Here. Self-diagnosis is a problem, and and you know, this proliferation of products is concerning, um, and and the, the the branding. I mean. It's a, it's a huge marketing machine. The mutual fund industry is, over time, seemingly going to, like, uh, I should be careful with my words, but it's, I wanted to say decimated, but but there is a, a gradual general trend down in the mutual fund industry. Okay. And it's not... That I've heard that from other... That's Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard yeah. whispers of that before, and that it's the, sure. the ground is changing, and we're not sure how it's going to come out the other sure. side. Well, we know one thing is for sure, the, 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 the surge in ETF uh, assets is very apparent. It's It's just incredible how quickly it's growing and that is are we chasing better returns or are we just chasing lower fees we're chasing lower fees which is one of the primary indicators of better returns ah interesting right so in efficient markets yep. markets like canada and the u.s typically um you know it's very hard for an active manager to cover their two percent fee and more Right, and, and, and more. And more, right? So why I still will pay, and, and that's why I'm still... Yeah, returns net of fees is what we really want. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so part of why I still am okay with some active management, whereas a lot of people have sworn against it now, is because I look at risk-adjusted returns. And that's what every investment professional is supposed to do. Right. That's what we're trained. You have to look at both sides of the coin. You know, I have clients who've made triple their money on marijuana stocks, and, and that's stuff they do on their own. Um, and... You know the stuff they do, where we talk about it a lot, the returns might be far less. But we 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 actually have a ratio where we'll look at it versus the but standard the, the, deviation. The whole of the risk portfolio. the risk component is a big factor there. Mm. Exactly. So I also know people who have lost money in marijuana stocks or cannabis stocks. So. Absolutely. You know you don't want to be the last one. You know on that. Uh, by the time the mar- by the time everyone's buying, you've probably missed out on the opportunity. Or there's lots of those those sayings been floating around. Yeah, it, and it's really tricky to value a lot of these companies because as opposed to price versus earnings yes. of a lot of more established companies, we look at price to sales, which is really not that useful but when we look mm. at beyond it's also meat, part of emerging market and things like that like there the cannabis industry was so much on where people were buying and trading on hope and their valuations right. were based on future hope hope maybe strategies right and the multiples to future projected earnings were were actually incalculable but ridiculous if you had to put a name to it but even their price to sales were, were ridiculous so we often yeah. compared it to amazon we're trying to find ways to make it make sense to justify right? these values right trying to Just act like flag. we've uh, trying to act like we've done a little research and you know when we compare it to say amazon or beyond meat and we look at their price to sales multiples and at different stages of their growth how does that compare to, to wheat stocks so you know i want people to to think about how they're making decisions with their health with their wealth with their relationships so you know i don't necessarily work with people who just want to make money Mm-hmm. Uh, part of why I do what I do is because I want to decide. I want to be in control. Nobody's taking forty or fifty or sixty percent of what I generate, which is, you know, often the case. As, you uh, when know, you partner with world. absolutely, yeah, I have some right. friends that work in that world, and I was shocked right. when I heard the numbers. Yeah, I'm like, so, wow, you're paying a lot for the privilege to fly this banner, basically. You got it. So I, I keep my overhead extremely low. I use a co-working space, and uh, that reflects in in the cost. Of my and clients. are you uh, a single shingle, or do you have anyone else on your team, or is it right now it's just you? Right now, it's just me um, looking at partnering with others to build out membership models so we can okay. scale to some extent because you know, if we want to change the game for people 
looking for you, you need, unbiased you need, investment you need, advice. You need scale. We need to keep the cost low. And also, and I'm assuming, like, I worked in the fitness industry years ago, mm-hmm. and it was called personal training for a reason. You had to have the right fit for the right people. You got it. And with the model you're talking about, I'm assuming you're not the right fit for everybody. You got and it. And that's you need that diversity because we've sure. all got different personalities. And right. that's where we can refer people on, and and we okay. we try to make it clear if they're you know. Um, Partners, like, what screening have we done? And is there any compensation? Uh, generally, I don't take any compensation from any third party whatsoever. Uh, in the past, you know, I've won trips. I've got watches, golf, you know, sitting at yep. the Stampede, eating shrimp, you know, at Ranahan's. And, you know, those kinds of days are, are coming to an end in the, in the investment industry. In so many industries. In so many industries. So many industries. That's, that's a Our great industry point. is similar, for, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 things are changing for the consumer. The old, remember the good old days conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, I work with contractors who help me with the website and, and uh, some of the marketing strategies. Uh, I think that, you know, one of my most important tools is, is really my conviction and my passion, my belief that we can bring fees down, keep more in investor pockets and give them the knowledge they need to carry them through their lives. You know, so I've done things like volunteering with junior achievement. I've used my individual stocks to sponsor Syrian refugees and taught other people how they can use that as a mechanism to avoid paying taxes. Right. And, and actually tax avoidances, I believe, I believe it's illegal. I'd have to ask an accountant, but this is uh, tax planning. Where you're allowed There's to donate shares. I think shares. I'm glad you qualified. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it is uh, also our duty to pay our taxes. As sure, sure. So the question so, always is my value equation there, but that's another conversation. <laughs> you know, you know, and, and one other thing in terms of partners, I partnered with Goodpin recently, which is a great organization. Oh, interesting. I know. Yeah. I yes, I know of them. Yeah. So I, every client who or prospective client who meets with me, I give them twenty five dollars to give to their favorite charity. And the idea is, uh, people sometimes need a reason to actually have this conversation. And I want to give that a little bit additional incentive. And that's kind of... We're, we're, we're humans. We're rewards-based sometimes. We're like, rewards-based. Sure. And, and I don't do marketing through Facebook ads or Google. My, my marketing budget goes to charity. That's the way I Interesting. Look at it. Yeah. That's so powerful. Yeah. Business owner, entrepreneur, forging a path, maybe going against, swimming up against stream a little bit time to time. How do you stay motivated? How do you keep on the right? Because I'm sure there's got to be days where you're like, oh, this is hard. This is, this is, you know, I don't, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm just yeah. speaking candidly here. How do you stay on track? Is it surround yourself? Do you have mentors? Like, what, do, what are your strategies? It's very hard. Um, I, you know, took a massive pay cut I'm sure. to, to do this. And actually, that was one of my goals, make less. Because I knew that, you know, balance in life is something that was important for me. And we know that, you know, accumulation of wealth doesn't always make us happy. It can afford us some nice luxuries. I always joke, money can't buy happiness. If you're already happy, money can turn up the volume, but you're never going to get there via money. That's my, yeah. like, having money is great, but yeah. deal with your happiness is a separate pillar in my books. <laughs> I, I think that's great. And, and, you know, the most important thing is where you spend, you know, a third of your day or, or your 24 hours, a good which portion is of your, your life. job, yes, right? absolutely. So find your, you know, your, your place, a, a company that'll value what you bring to the table. And, you know, in my work, I'm surrounded by other uh, uh, entrepreneurs and co-working spaces, um, you know, um, shout out to Work Nicer. You know, they've been a great supporter. Yeah, I'm a big supporter and yeah. I've, had, I've had Alex on the show and he was a great, of course. Uh, his philosophies around and the environment. And sure. again, that's how you and I met through Absolutely. a mutual friend and yeah. the sense of community that creates. I'm a huge fan of it, you know, Absolutely. and I think especially in Calgary with what we've dealt. I love how that's been a bit of a byproduct of this downturn. Sure. You know, like it really opened the door for that to happen, which is more yeah. community and more cross-pollination. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm really interested in the co-housing movement. 
co-working movement. I was just chatting with someone about the co-housing movement yesterday. That's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. If what's I've happening in out. what's happening in Norway and some of the things that are happening sure. overseas. Well, we've got a few places in Calgary, so I've joined them for some communal meals. I've looked at investing in those projects. Interesting. It's just kind of yeah. my I love I love how things kind of show up. I just had a conversation with somebody about this yesterday. Absolutely. In the world of of, of aging. Yeah. And age discrimination and what, sure, what co-op sure. housing can do in that environment. Mm. Sure. And can you imagine, you know, you're a young couple with kids and, you know, you, you know, grandparents are far away or passed on. And, you know, here are a bunch of people who uh, are in the community. You can share meals with every Sunday or whenever it is. And yep, depending on you the still have all your own space in your apartment unit. Uh, but it's like we're going back to the village. You got it. You know it. what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not that. Yeah. We, we, if you look at the last couple of hundred years, it's not that long. We, we were there longer than we weren't. You got it. <laughs> Living in a true community, like, takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. All those sayings, yeah. which I've, I've big, I grew up in a small town. So yeah. that is a warm. My grandmother's property was like 500 feet away. Okay. So, like, as a kid, I would just go to grandma's house. And there was such yeah. a huge part of my life. To yeah. not have that, I, I would have I would have grown up differently. <laughs> you know, I, I, I joke, I grew up in a family of, of 12. Uh, we had our mm-hmm. original house on the farm yeah and then eventually as the family grew my family kind of we, we built an attachment between the houses and it's uh, very simple yeah <laughs> so there was four of us and, and and i think seven next door and uh this we had a hot tub in the basement and so my my my, my dear grandfather passed a long time ago um every morning around 5 a.m i wouldn't know i'd be fast asleep but he'd come through the passage sneak into the basement and use the hot tub so you know and i would eat two dinners uh, i mean i'm a i'm a slender guy but you know, growing up, I would eat dinner at home and then I would sneak over to grandma's to get more of the traditional Indian East African fare, which, you know, often there'd be five, 10 course meals. And I, I shouldn't say 10 courses, but there'd be a lot of variety. Absolutely. So I was able to partake in my culture where, you know, my mom was working on the farm. So she, you know, couldn't do that full extravagant uh, menu, but still, you know, took it's really good care grow, of us It's an interesting up. way to grow up. I, yeah. No, I agree. Very, yeah. Very, very different, same, same, but different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah so, so great, great support from people in the co-working space. Okay. And definitely I've had some mentors over time and um, always looking for support. A lot of people really buy into what I do. I just need them to, to, to talk with their dollars and say, hey, of course, I believe in unbiased, impartial fiduciary advice. I'm going to contract you to help me with this part. I've even had people gift my services to loved ones. Interesting. Yeah. Because you know, they, it's such a change from like, well, I'm not used to paying anything. Well, no, you're not used to seeing what you're paying, exactly. and then and you get you know the model, you get what you pay for, and anyway, say a exactly. whole bunch of. It's an interesting. It's an interesting shift. I moved recently, about a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. to a to a, a very transparent paid mm-hmm. model, and it was interesting, just the psychology. But they were very transparent about here's how we do it. The curtain was pulled back, and I was right. so refreshed by that right. <laughs> conversation that it, it. But it was a shift. I had to like really go, wow, what? Because I could never get the straight answer from my advisor of what I was actually yeah. paying. So I just eventually got more and more frustrated. <laughs> There's some really good advisors out there, and again, you need to ask the right questions. You know, how are you compensated? What are your qualifications? What happens if you change firms? What happens if something happens to you? You know, will I ever be bounced to another advisor if your practice becomes too big? Right? Yeah, if you the, move up, yeah, I've and seen, you have all these lists. You have these on your website. I have many of these on on the list because people uh, just where, where do you where do I go to learn? You got this? It. Even the yeah. basics at yeah. consciouswealth.ca. There is a short list of I believe five things to ask, but okay. people can always write to me. You know, I love just well. The obvious advice is they should reach out and give you a call. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and they can book a free discovery um, consult. You know, on the website, which often would take you know uh, it could be a call, could be a meetup. Uh, but certainly, you know, I find that uh, people people put this stuff aside and they just hope they it do. works out. And, yes. and, and we have a hope lot of it, tools. Hope is not a strategy, as they joke. Hope is not a strategy. And, you know, the mar- there's so much to consider when it comes to the future of the markets. I mean, you know, if people believe in climate change and, you know, um, a lot of 
disruption of environments and, and species, mm-hmm. destruction and so on, how will this affect the economy? Because after all, the economy is a subset within nature, not the other yes. way around. And it's we good, might not it's good, see it. That's a good clarifying point. Right. We might not see it in the Western world as much. We have great privilege here. We have a lot we, of resources individually and as a society and, and governments. And so we have it know, darn good. <laughs> we have it really good here. And so yeah. I think we have to think about, you know, what could the future be for the capital markets and for investing and, and maybe you prefer to invest without any specific ethical rigor today. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fine. I mean, not all my clients want to, to go into all that. Yeah, that's a personal choice. I but in 10 it, or yeah. 20 years, I mean, we're already seeing a real lack of interest in oil and gas stocks anywhere in the world. Forget the situation here in Alberta. Yeah. And, and that's a lot of those stocks could by some be considered great deals. But if the market isn't interested, I mean, after all, it's a supply and demand game. Yes, it is. If there's no demand for oil and gas shares, regardless of the price. Things will change. Things will change. And so that's where ethical investing actually could be far more profitable many years down the road, or some people would argue it's starting to happen today. Interesting. And everything, it goes through, it's slowly, and then all of a sudden is often what happens. You got it. Or I wasn't looking, and then all of a sudden I did. So what's the future of uh, conscious wealth for you? So, you know, uh, that's something I've been working on for a while. You know, I've done a few podcasts. It's always under review as a business owner. (laughs) You got it. I've I've adjusted the price models. I've I've got support from the ATBX program, which I participated in uh, last year. What's ATBX? ATBX is a startup incubator uh, to help... um, I believe early stage entrepreneurs excellent uh, figure out their strategy uh, get some support from other entrepreneurs and, and they helped me uh, back then a year a year or two ago it was a three month program okay excellent. it's evolved and shifted and changed and improved and um, you know I think the, the big focus for me would be you know membership models look at how that would work partnering with other like-minded entrepreneurs mm-hmm. in the financial space uh, but I have tried you know getting more into the blogging done some videos you know, done some podcasts, uh, but I think my expertise really lies in analyzing people's investments. And, and doing so all that stuff is a bit of a distraction. It's, it's, the, it's the challenge around yeah. running, running and growing a business because you when you're it. doing the thing, you're not out marketing. You're doing everything. It's it can you wear a lot. Of, I'm sure there's, there's a line of hats yeah. on your desk. And which hat am I going to wear today? Well, and the biggest reason I've been able to sustain myself is because I had good money values from before, right. which were taught by by my parents, by my by my community. We were always taught to give back. And, you know, certainly keeping my cost structures really low means clients can afford my services yep. and I can, you know, I can, I can manage. Well, it sounds like very deliberate and it's challenging. I think what you said, I grew up in an environment where my parents were, my dad was like, well, if you don't take care of yourself, no one else is going to. So sure. be very self-sufficient. But I can, I didn't realize, cause I just thought that's the way it was. Mm-hmm. But I look back now how fortunate I was mm-hmm. compared to even I met my wife and fantastic. Her family's awesome supportive, but she's like, she came in and she's like, I didn't, we didn't really have these money conversations that you got to have. Cause I grew up in self-employed environment. It was just so different. Like our views of money were completely sure. both from a similar background, kind of from a values perspective, but money just was right. on the table or wasn't really discussed. Yeah, and for people that didn't have that, it could be a challenge. It can feel very overwhelming. I, I really appreciate that. Money is a very difficult topic, and I encourage people to try to open up the conversation. At least make sure you know. Don't just push it under the rug. <laughs> yeah, make sure your parents have wills. Make sure you have wills and know where they are. You know, in, in, <laughs> and know where they are. <laughs> in a prior role, we had a case where you know we had to solve somebody's uh, state situation, and, and we couldn't find a will. So. You know, we looked under I'm the sure mattress. I'm sure you've seen so many different situations. We looked in the freezer, you know, but the types of things I've seen in wills, it's, it's, it's really, really insane. And that's because, you know, sometimes people do holographic wills, which, you know, talk to your lawyer, but I think um, that's, I, Alberta is one of the provinces where I, at least it used to be allowed and probably still is, but, 
you know, check, check that. And, and so people can really should see, see a lawyer to make sure they have a, a goodwill that is enforceable. And, you know, as soon as you have executors and beneficiaries outside a province or outside a country, it becomes really challenging. Um, there was a, a recent very high-profile celebrity who passed away, and you can read about his executors' uh, uh, dismay when they found out that they were going to have to act on his behalf, and some of them just will reject that. They didn't even know. <laughs> they didn't know, and they would just reject it because it's a lot of work, and, and executors right. do get uh, are entitled to compensation from the estate. But anyway... The, the point is, make no, sure you have a will. It's a dangerous rabbit is. hole. I appreciate it. You can, oh my goodness, look at the whole. Absolutely. And, and know your investment fees. You know, know how they get paid. Know, know your fees. And, uh, you know, understand the difference between active and passive. The world is shifting to passive. That's not necessarily a great thing. It's, it, it is good for fees, but there's other implications there. Right. But just, just know how you're invested. But talk to somebody that can give you a perspective. So you're making the decision with some a degree of education or you're be informed. Absolutely. You know, because sometimes what you're getting told from the marketing campaign you got it. <laughs> is might not be a hundred percent in your best interest or it might yeah. give you a very limited perspective yeah. of the situation. Yeah. But I think knowing people can reach out to someone like yourself. A lot of people I talk to and when they're really honest, they're like, I just I don't know where to I don't know who to call and I kind of feel stupid. Yeah. And that's yeah. hard because we don't you know, nobody likes feeling dumb. Now, let's have those like real. Let's have real conversations where you know there's no product at the end. You know, let's let's just have real conversations where. Well, you're people, the hero as the investor. It's your story. It's your journey. <laughs> yeah, let, let's let's you know people need to be in a setting where they can be vulnerable and talk about the problems they've had with money and maybe past losses. I mean, if you're filling out a bank questionnaire about your comfort with risk, well, you might say you can handle risk, but they don't actually ask you, "Have you actually lost a large sum of money in the past?" What does that mean? And that's one of my. Biggest questions. Have you lost a large sum of money before? Have you been misled? Have you received potentially fraudulent advice? Because only then will you know the pain. Only then will you understand how you should behave going forward. I'm sure there's a, like, it's a whole other episode of this, the stories you've encountered and the situations of people with good intentions and then waking up one day and literally just having nothing. Absolutely. You know, there's so many cases, uh, even condo buildings being torn down. People still have the mortgage, but the building was uh, what do you call it derelict? Yes, and 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 you know some of these really Paying sad on something stories that doesn't even exist anymore. Some of these stories, and so part of you wow. know because I've purchased so much real estate in my years as well, I've made a lot of mistakes there, and I, I want to stop people from making bad decisions when it comes to real estate because that's a big decision. It can be very emotional. So. And the barrier to entry, a lot of people I know like, well, oh, I need to do something different. I need to be a little self-directed. I want to, I want to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Real estate is an easy uh, step for a lot of people, or sorry, peers easy, or people get into it, I think, with not also always understanding the full ramifications. I sure didn't know what I was getting into. <laughs> I, 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 appreciate I, I your leveraged honesty. massively in 2014, right? And that's kept me up at night. And, you know, I've had a lot of support. And we all know what's happened in the last four, four to five years. Yeah. Condos especially have been really hurt in Calgary. And so... You know, a but lot yeah, of we're still building them left, right, and center. But anyway, that's another conversation. It, it is hard. I to drive value. around. I'm like, I'm questioning what is yeah. happening here. Yeah, you know, there's so much capital, and this is partly why you yes. get bubbles in easy markets, money. Yes, right. And 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 I don't know if I would say yeah. So so they get the money easily. Can they make the money easily? Is the other story. yeah yeah. Oh, so, they, so yeah. access to it. I didn't mean access. To I didn't capital. mean easy money as in return. That's not what I meant. Access like, to capital. It's being handed out too readily. <laughs> exactly. With so interest rates low, this, quantitative yes. easing, yes. investors. Yeah. Thanks for returns. clarifying. That's not what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. That's 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 great. We kind of touched on that. And so you know these pools of capital need to go somewhere. <clears throat> they can't sit. And they're probably basing it on back to the back to the you know you shouldn't have your hundred grand sitting and they've got their hundred million sitting. You got it absolutely. Right? So it's kind of s- same, same but different. <laughs> you got it, and and you know you want to uh, 
believe that the economy will turn around and that, you know, buyers will come back. And challenge I've always had with evaluating real estate, well, first of all, broke real, realtors, mortgage brokers, they're commission-based typically. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. Right? So again, this is where I, I do consults for clients to, to make sure there's an impartial perspective. Um, when it comes to, you know, evaluating the property market, well, you're looking at new household formation. So people get divorced, they break up, you t- go from one property to two. Uh, people downsize, they pass on, they have more kids, so they need to, to, to have a bigger home. Immigration, mm-hmm. you know, evaluating all these things is, is important to be able to actually have a forecast for the market. So supply-demand is, is pretty complex, and the people who do that are usually the industry insiders. So again, it's sometimes too optimistic. Right, of course, because it's not to be negative, but it's a bit self-serving. You got it. In painting, in painting this picture and painting this story. Neat, thanks so much for coming in today. I really appreciate one. You're giving us some education because I was excited before, you know, thinking about chatting with you. I think money, finance, personal wealth, success, failure, it's so, it's such an interesting topic. And I still think we sweep it under the rug too much. So willing to, you know, have an honest conversation, but also to share your personal values of why you got into this. I'm really glad that you had me on the show and that we were able to talk about some things. And I I hope that people have, will take some things away and, and act on them. And you know, contact uh, one of us. I've got some new thoughts going out. So what's, the, what's the best way to get hold of you? You mentioned your website a couple times. Is it should they go on LinkedIn? What's if I need to get hold of you right now? I can't wait another minute. Well, how should I get out there? My email address is prosper at consciouswealth.ca. Excellent. That's okay. the best way. And Conscious Delta's website. You've probably got some tools. Some I've downloads. got a Facebook page. Uh, if you look up Conscious Wealth, what I do is I, I I devour news. I'm a news junkie, and so I read personal finance articles and I post them there. Oh, nice. And you're, I try to you're, sh- you're curating for the rest of us who don't have time Correct. to maybe go down. Oh, that's huge I don't value. do a ton of blog writing, but, but uh, you're curating. But, but I curate. I try to find those articles oh, that I think. And, and I, of course, identify like the key point from the article. Well, you're filtering it also yeah. from what you, what based on this is what I show value. So if you buy into that, here's all the articles that exactly. give different perspectives. So if you're on, on Facebook, do one thing today, just follow Conscious Wealth. I might be, I might be under Conscious Wealth 1. Uh, okay. But you'll, you'll find it, okay. and uh, you'll see our logo. It's a bulb, and take a look at yep, that I'm logo. Yeah, I've already pictured it. Yeah, I saw yeah, it. Yeah. And kudos on the name, because after chatting with you, because I heard Conscious Wealth, it's like, oh, yeah, it sounds obvious. But listening to you today, like, you are on brand with that name. So, and, you know, what I do for a living, the name should mean so much, sure. and it's so hard naming sure. these days. It's probably one of the hardest things we do as a marketing company. But listening to you talk about your, your why, you nailed it. Thank so, you. It's kudos. great. Thanks so much for being on the show. All I really right. appreciate it. Hope to be here again. Hello, and thank you for listening to today's episode. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. I want to let you in on a little secret. I absolutely love doing these podcasts. The learning, the people, the curiosity, the insights, the the wow factor of meeting people that I thought I knew and learning their deeper stories really proves the value of what happens when you take the time to be curious and actually care enough to ask. With that, I'm looking for your feedback. I'm looking for your input. I'm looking for what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, where you'd like to see it headed in terms of guests, in terms of questions, a little bit deeper, please feel free to share. We'd love to get your feedback. Visit us on iTunes, on Spotify, give us your review, give us your five stars if you feel so inclined, but more importantly, give us your feedback. Give us your input on what you want to hear on future shows and we will absolutely incorporate it. Thank you again for listening and have an awesome day.